Hello friends, Easton here. Today we've got a special episode for you. A while back, Austin and I connected with a fellow podcaster, Jessica Newman, who is a media producer, creative, and awesome human. And we had a conversation with Jessica on her podcast, Create Space. It's a show all about finding joy in the art of storytelling. We talk about our journeys, our techniques, practices, and more. Create Space is a great podcast that we really think you'd enjoy just as much as we do. So this week, our episode is actually our conversation from Jessica's show. And be sure to give her other episodes a listen by clicking the link in the show notes. So grab your mug and let's get talking. Welcome back to Create Space, a podcast that finds joy in the art of storytelling. If you're new here, I am a collegiate level media production instructor and a champion of the creative process. I love sharing stories and looking at the impact that storytelling can have at a community and societal level, as well as at an individual level. Today, I am honored to introduce you to incredible storytellers and two creative souls, Austin Smith and Easton Curtis. They are co-hosts of the Artist Blend podcast, and I actually met them in a podcasting group on social media. So the three of us connected right away, and we noticed how similar our interest areas were. So we decided to do a pod swap, and here we are. So for the next 30 minutes or so, please enjoy this conversation with Austin and Easton from the Artist Blend podcast. All right. Welcome to the show, Austin and Easton. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So Austin and Easton are the co-hosts of The Artist's Blend, and we're going to learn a little bit about The Artist's Blend today. And then also, I would love to just talk to you guys about your careers and artistry. Would you guys first start us off really simple? Tell us who you are, what you do. Give us a little background here. I am Austin Jeffrey Smith. I am a Nashville-based actor, and I have two degrees, both bachelors. I have a BM in vocal performance from Cumberland University, and I have a BFA from Lipscomb University, newly attained last year. My name is Easton J. Curtis, and I grew up in Nashville and then wound up going to Lipscomb University, which was where me and Austin met. I now live in Orlando, Florida, and I'm a full-time well, I was going to say full-time performer. I'm a most-of-the-time performer. I'm a full-time freelancer, so I perform with most of my time. And then on the side, to fill in those gaps, I do graphic design, some branding work for companies, and podcasts, and other random little projects here and there. That's cool. You have two very freelanceable areas with performing yeah. and design, social media, branding. I mean, all of that is very freelanceable. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm making it a word here. No, yeah. Yeah. That's part of the reason I I started doing it. I was like, you know what? I can do this on my own time and I love it. So Mm -hmm. why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's what a lot of my students, so I teach audio and video and media production. And a lot of my students end up doing contract type stuff and kind of working for themselves in a cool sort of way and just getting to pick and choose the jobs they want. And yeah, that's a pretty sweet way to go. Okay. So you met at Lipscomb. And both of you, your kind of primary creative art form is music theater, right? So could you maybe each just tell me about that? Tell me why you chose to pursue that and make it kind of the primary focus of the of your careers? So I grew up in Nashville. So I was in the Bible Belt, grew up going to a church that primarily had acapella worship. And so from a really young age, I was exposed to music in what I think is its rawest form, just pure voices at 9 a.m. How more rock can you get? So I grew up loving music, and I think I, I give a lot of credit to that love to growing up in the church. 
Then one day, I think we did like a drama thing at my church and the shy four-year-old Easton did it and surprised my mom at the fact that I even wanted to do it because I was so dang shy. I loved it. Eventually, when I was like, I think, yeah, I was 12, I found a community theater and then the rest is history. I, I have done shows consistently where I can find them since then. I think the why I do it boils down to, one, I think there's a part of all of us that needs stories. As an individual, we need stories, but also as culturally and to make societal connections with each other and to understand each other, we need stories. And for me, that is the storytelling form that I'm most passionate about that I feel the most ethereal connection to, just in my soul. I just feel it. I love that. Absolutely. What about you, Austin? So mine is eerily similar, but also way different. Easton and I have talked about this many, many times in our connection over the past few years of knowing each other. But my story began, I actually was a choir kid first. So I found choral singing and acapella singing much like him when I was in middle school and took that route primarily up until my first degree, which was around 2012. It was vocal performance, and at the time it was classical training, so it was in operatic singing. But then junior year of that degree, I found a local community theater production of Music Man, and I auditioned. And as they all say, got bit by the bug with musical theater, and Really, really loved the passion that everyone seemed to have, loved the community that was there. But ultimately, like Easton, I love to tell stories. And I feel like through musical theater, it's just a great avenue to be able to connect with so many people, whether it be in the audience, whether it be in video form. So I've only been doing musical theater about seven years now, which is crazy to think about with regards to what I've done and what shows I've done. But truly, it comes down to wanting to connect to people, the importance of the stories that are being told, and the potential for what is to come with this avenue in the sense of how people are drawn to it, and the important stories that haven't been told yet, and the potential therein is what I love with it. I think it's really interesting that you both mention storytelling so heavily because I was a theater kid in high school and then did one year of theater performance and then kind of decided it wasn't for me and wanted to do something else. But as I was trying to think of what else could I do, I thought, well, okay, what do I like about theater and where else can I find that? And for me, storytelling was the thread. So I actually went to broadcast journalism first and then quickly found out that I liked more being behind the camera. And so that kind of led Mm -hmm. into being a videographer and, you know, onward and upward. So I always kind of thought of my route as being odd or circuitous. But now that I'm hearing you guys talk about it like that, it's really not. It's all connected in some sort of a way, which really brings us to your podcast, because your podcast, The Artist's Blend, is not just about music theater, right? So let's move on to that. I would love to know how you two music theater guys decided, hey, let's do a podcast and it turned into what it is. Give me the background here. We were part of a choir for, there was a major artist who was doing a tour in, was it 2022? Yeah, it was last year, last summer. Yeah, 20. And we did like a Huntsville stop and then a Franklin stop. And at the Huntsville stop, we had lots of time in the green room. We were sitting there for like seven hours, I think, in between our call time and when we actually performed. So we had lots of time back there and we just started talking and there was a group of people talking about podcasts and 
we jokingly were like, we could do a podcast. Yeah. And then it just slowly turned into, wait, we could do a podcast. And they also provided us some coffee in the corner that me and Austin were both very much enjoying because we both are coffee lovers, but not necessarily aficionados. But we want to slowly be on that path. And it was Austin's idea, like, oh, my gosh, wait, what if we talk about art with coffee? (laughs) And I'll let you finish, Austin. So the intention with that was, like, we could, like, connect over a warm cup of coffee with whatever subject we were doing. And then events happen. Easton got married. Easton moves to Florida. And we start just reconnecting. Not that we disconnected, but reconnecting about this subject. And it was like, wait, we could do this. So here we are now, the Wee Little Baby podcast that's only uh, like almost two months old. But it's been such an amazing journey to be sending each other coffee and be connecting with other people who are local roasters, either in Nashville or in Florida. And I don't think we realized the growth of a community that we would be able to reach in just this short amount of time because we're both outgoing people and we meet people all the time but it's funny to be like hey we have this thing we want to talk to you about it's like oh oh okay we're those people now that's great it's a different hat it's very surreal i'm very happy to be on this journey with easton and to be able to have a platform to be able to talk about different artistry that may not get talked about or even be realized by a lot of, as, as you've said, musical theater people. I mean, it's understood and appreciated by many, but we want to just give an open window to be like, hey, you could look at it this way because we've had our interests in so many things. We love so many different facets of artistry and mm. we wanted to challenge ourselves to continue exploring and to continue engaging that curiosity that we have in us to learn different art forms and to stay curious and to grow and to always be growing. The podcast is is a, a selfish endeavor as well. It's a form and a way for us to continue yeah. to grow as we enter the post-undergrad phase of life where you're not consistently in a classroom being pushed by your mm-hmm. peers all the time. You know, how do you keep growing and, and keep learning? And so that was sort of a way that we're trying to do that is just by having a weekly show that keeps us accountable and consistently learning. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, you said we baby podcast. Mine is just about as young as yours, just maybe a couple of weeks older. (laughs) But but I I mean, I felt the same thing as you guys. You get to meet people. I mean, some of the people I've interviewed, I've known, but didn't know about specific parts of their world. And then other people like Mm. you guys, I'm just meeting for the show. and, And it's all very exciting. So calling it a selfish endeavor, I totally get what you're saying about that. And it's a longer form media than we're used to, which I appreciate that we get so used to, you know, a one minute TikTok or at most a five minute YouTube video and being able to do something a little bit more long form is kind of cool. So I want to talk more about kind of your performing and stuff. But before we move off of the podcast for a minute, do you guys have any favorite moments or favorite guests or any shows that you would maybe plug of just things that you that you think would be great to check out on the artist blend yes so a, a few days ago we recorded this we have an episode with christopher and sarah bailey who were actually they were our professors and they were both my vocal coaches at different points in my college career they are the masters of self-production they both have created these incredible works and one of them right now that's sort of on the front burner for them is Incognitas Infamous Adventures, which is on Amazon Prime right now. It had a show in New York. It had a show in Orlando. I think they went to L.A. at one point. 
So if you're listening to this, I, I feel like you, your listeners are they're artists of all kind and they, they mm. want to create space for to make that art. Yep. And and they are people that really walk the walk of creating space to to make art. So that's something to listen to yep. no matter what art form you're in. They have some really cool insights. Mm. Very yep. cool. Anything you'd add to that, Austin? I would definitely plug that one. I would also plug one of our very beginning episodes where it's us figuring out what this podcast is going to be, but we have an episode on our audition stories, and I just think it's a ton of fun. And if you're wanting to know about our podcast, I think those two are going to give you the best insight to who we are and what we like to talk about. So I would listen to those two. And again, any of your listeners are interested, find us. We're fun. Come awesome. come join. Grab a coffee. <laughs> yes, I love that. We'll put the link in the show notes. And I don't know if we explicitly said this, but every episode features a different blend of coffee, right? Yeah. Correct. Or we try. Or some, yeah. <laughs> So then you get sometimes to learn about it's tea if it's form. like 9 p.m. Some, we'll sometimes tea. it's tea because we're like, okay, well, <laughs> I would fair. like to sleep in a few hours. So. <laughs> so, okay, so let's talk about your guys' performing because, you know, I've seen mm. your both of your resumes and all the shows that you guys have done and all the stuff that you've been a part of. And I'm curious, as somebody interested in the storytelling process, how do you develop a role? So when you get cast in something how do you start? How do you, you know, obviously you read the script, but beyond that, how do you develop and figure out the ins and outs of a character? So the first thing I tend to do is I try to figure out what works for the show and the story. I feel like each process is its own experience and requires different tools from the toolbox, depending on the style and the period it was released in and, and, and all that stuff. But I'll use, for example, the show I'm about to start working on on Tuesday. The first thing I'll do is learn all my lines or at least get started on that so I have a handle on the text and then I will pull the character description pull the key adjectives like whatever was used for the the audition call like they're successful independent and confident or whatever it is and I'll list those out and then ask why are they that way and then I'll collect things that the character says about themselves and what other people say about the character write those out and then ask why are they that way? And so I have like a giant mind map. Eventually, it turns into just a giant spider web of all these why questions interacting with each other. And then at the end, I have a big full page full of that looks like a, a madman's drawings. But it gives me a mental snapshot of the character and kind of helps me flesh that stuff out. And then from there, I, I can start to build on that and, and go into what do they want? What, what are they trying to get with this story? What's their function? in the story how can i best serve that function are they a, a catapult for the protagonist are they presenting an obstacle for them what is their function in the story and then that also kind of helps me build a character and making sure i'm serving the function as well i'm someone that very much approaches it from an intellectual form i start inside and then work other people work outside in they start with their bodies like but i'm very much a, let me write down all this stuff and think about it a lot and then that will get me in a place where I can then experiment and play. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I, in my process, again, eerily similar, my process that when I begin with any role, show, whatever it may be, I like to do research on maybe the time period that it's happening, if it's around a certain event, if it's about an idea. And what I mean by that is if the story revolves around some sort of conflict, 
I'll look into what other situations and what other examples of that conflict are and outcomes that have come from it. I look at the text much like Easton. I love to see the character through others' words. And when I'm reading through a script, if someone says something, I could not be in the scene at all, but my character is talked about. And those are some of the times where you find the deepest thing about the character that the character may never say, but it's like, oh, I can use that because they're talking about it. And because they're talking about it, the writer clearly wanted it known, so it needs to be within the character. So I would, I would say I would read the script, obviously learn the lines. I am trying a new process of learning the lines flatly so that every time that I say them, it's a new way instead of being like, I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to say it this way. And the way I like that is it comes, it puts a, a, a bit of me, but it lets the character breathe a little bit because it doesn't have to be stagnant and be like, I've, I know this person backwards and forwards. I, I'm just learning who this person is. And it's part of the process to be able to create a unique take on a character, even on shows that people are like, oh, I love this show. I've seen it like 40 times. Well, you haven't seen my way. And that's not to sound selfish, but all of us as artists are going to be different. And that's the great opportunity we have with any role is to present it in a different way. Yeah. So can you explain a little bit more about learning the lines flatly? So do you mean... Like you learn it almost with without inflection, sort of. Is it's it's, it's sort of like a, a, a no inflection, but like a monotone, if you will. And that has to do a lot with a technique called Meisner technique, where you kind of learn it without emotion, without a tone, without any inflection necessarily. You're just learning the words, and it's actually a difficult process because yeah. I <laughs> oftentimes when I'm reading, I was playing a, a card game with my family last night, and Sometimes the card would be funny because of the way I said it, not because of what was written, <laughs> but because of the way I said it. So sometimes it's interesting to see that happen with people and be like, what does somebody think is funny versus what they hear and think is funny? Right. Like if, if you read something and you laugh versus if somebody said that to you, would you laugh harder? Yeah. So finding that within a line is very it's difficult, but in it's rewarding because you can really get a sense of the character. You can get a sense of their relationship with other characters based off that movement. So yeah, it's hard to explain, but that's I think that would be the best way to explain flatly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when what you said about you know is it what you is it the words on the page or is it how you say it? It makes me think mm -hmm. of a lot of stand-up comedians that I like. A lot of times, their content may be mediocre at best but they have the best delivery ever and it just makes it yeah. so funny but i do think i'm sitting here trying to imagine learning lines that way and i feel like it would be challenging i, I think as you're reading something the natural inflection would come it's, out it's rough yeah yeah it's and very that's, tough that's part of the challenge like after i started taking a meisner course i was like you know what? i'm gonna try this that's that's one thing that college taught me and was a really big breakthrough is like try random things try all of the things and then keep what works that was one thing i tried it just doesn't work for me i did yep. find that memorizing things monotone and flat will give you the freedom in the room to make choices that are most natural in that moment the meisner theory is is all about living truthfully under imaginary circumstances it's all about the truth of the moment so maybe in this exact moment in the world, in the cosmos, you are upset with this character 
And for some reason, you've never felt this form of, of anger during this scene. But this one day, you're feeling that. And so you are living truthfully in expressing that and going down that avenue, which then gives them something to react to that they've that they can react to truthfully that they've never experienced before. And so it, it just opens up opportunity and, and freedom to make those choices. But for me, it takes me very long time to memorize things. I'm a slow reader and I'm a slow memorizer. And it, it just made the process torturous. And I was like, you know what? I think I, I need to reap these benefits a different way. And I right. need to maybe work on, instead of reinventing the wheel, I need to reinvent my sense of play. And so then it, it then I shifted to like, you know what? I'm, I can learn lines with inflection, whatever. But now I just need to detach that inflection when I'm in the rehearsal room and allow myself to play and not be chained to those choices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I too have found this is a new process for me having just graduated and learning this process. I'm excited to try it on a show. But I, I too have found that it is difficult to be like, oh, okay, I'm angry today. The, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 a process. But the it's much like Easton said earlier, post-grad life, you try to find something that challenges you either academically or intellectually and for me this is a new challenge that i'm i'm trying out is it the be all end all many people would say yes i don't know i'm just gonna try and get the little golden nuggets that i can from it and move on only time will tell right so this so here's a question that just came up in my brain and i'm because i'm endlessly fascinated with it and so i'm curious easton you said that you always look for like if if it says the character is brave and daring and smart then you look for the why behind, well, why are they that way? And I loved that. And so I had this thing that I've been weirdly fascinated with since I was young is the idea of a villain and how to play a villain realistically, because mm. I always have this thought of like, I think even most villains justify their behaviors in some capacity. So they don't always necessarily think of themselves as the villains. And I would argue probably most of the time don't. So have either of you ever played a villain and ever had to like, go through that thought process by chance? It's it's so mm -hmm. funny that you ask that because I am the show director for a villains event every Halloween in the Nashville area. It, it's my wife's company, but they have um, this really, really cool event every year. And so it's a passion of mine. I love it, love it, love it. We do like a an original like 30-minute show and then there's meet and greet and all sorts of stuff. And it's like, we've had like, thousands of people show up. We've had to expand hours. We're looking at expanding a whole nother date because it's just so popular. But anyway, love me some villains for so many different reasons. And, and I, I, you you hit the nail on the head with they don't realize or think of themselves as the villain. In I've, I've played the, the quote villain a couple times like in different shows and just in general love thinking about the antagonist. And, and the, the, I think the key to, to making a really good character that that functions well i think it all comes down to function like how how are they involved in the story and 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 what do they do to serve the story and move it along but they have to be completely vilified in in their actions they have to be completely convinced and certain that what they're doing is right and what they're doing is justified and if you approach any character that way you're going to come out with like a, a really strong character if they are confident in those in those actions. Uh, and so seeing, I mean, the, the best villains are ones that that are completely sold on their idea of what is right. 
and they have their own moral compass that to us is skewed as the viewer. But for them to, to be a successful functioning villain, they have to be so certain that their moral compass is correct. And I think I've always been fascinated by that. I'm so glad I thought to ask then. I thought, well, you know, they might just be like, no, I've never played a villain. I don't know. But I thought I'd throw it out there because my favorite shows or movies or books or anything are where you can see the bad in the protagonist and the good in the antagonist at the same time. And everything's a little bit more human and fluid. I always find that really interesting. Yeah. Thinking of of all of that, of the stories and, and presenting stories to people in ways that maybe they've never seen before and art forms in general, especially I think this question comes in a time where we're seeing things like art programs getting cut from schools or getting funding cut or things like that. What do you think about that in terms of the role that art and the creative process and storytelling, the role that it has, not just in people that like creative stuff, but society and community as a whole. What do you think about that? I'm going to answer to the best of my ability. Easton, weigh in whenever you want to. One of my favorite phrases is the earth without art. Just be eh. <laughs> I've never heard that, but I love it. If you take art out of the word earth, you get eh. And with that, it sounded more philosophical than it was going to be. <laughs> But <laughs> what I envision with that phrase is we as humans are natural storytellers. When you look at any kind of history of theater, you find that it's our way of expression. It's our way of connecting. It's interesting to know this information and just see it happen. We as humans, for example, naturally form lines. If at a grocery store, there's one register what do people start doing? They naturally start forming a line. When any kind of music or speaking is happening, people naturally form a dome shape around, which is remnant of a theater. Right. So it's within our brains to understand and to want to listen to expressed stories. So with art programs and art in general, whether it be theater, visual art, anything like that, with it being cut, I'm confused because everybody has an art story. Everybody might even have a theater story. Like, oh, I did theater once when I was in like middle school. I played tree number two right. or something like that. <laughs> My mom was proud. I waved. I was in a great costume. I, I think it gets lost in the sense of it gives young kids, it gives anybody in a young age the opportunity to explore expressing themselves to find who they are, to find their voice, to find what their interests are. I mean, some people do a play and they never want to do it again. Some people do a play and be like, I like how the lights work. How, what's that about? And then they become visual engineers or they become lighting, light designers in various aspects of that. Some people see projections in shows and be like, that's really cool. What do I, how do I do that? And they become digital creators and they become just it, it's it's fascinating to me that you can see something once and that's where it sparks i mean that was true for me when seeing musical theater i went to see a show and i was like wait this is cool how do i do that so for me seeing things like that it's it, it's frustrating because it's like do you, do you not see the importance that's within this art form that you're trying to take away it's not only for them in the moment, it's for the rest of their lives in, in a sense. And I mean, we take in content every day. If you take art away, 
There's no this. There's no this. Right. There's no TikTok. There's no pictures of any kind. We're just a flat black and white society that that would have no color in, in that respect. And we just ingest so much that I don't think we understand that if you take that away, we won't be able to to take it in. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my thoughts. Easton, you want to weigh in? I'm out of thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen The Little Prince on Netflix, the film adaptation? Yes, it is one I of love my it. favorite films of all time. And it really, it's home art is necessary. It is efficient <laughs> to, yeah. to have art in your life. Because in order to be well-rounded humans, we need shelter, food, water. We need expression. We need emotional connection. We need all of those things which can find their way through art. Empathy, catharsis, being able to identify with your emotions. All of these are skills that are required to be a well-rounded, functioning human being. America has this tendency of looking at things from the efficient point of way of like, how do we streamline? How do, how do we make this more efficient? When in reality, the ability to connect with other people through art and emotional catharsis is so important to be a functioning member of society. We need, and not only that, but but having an understanding of art can make you more efficient in, in the traditional workplace too. Like learning music is like learning another language. It connects those neurons in, in your brain from a young age and so that's why music education is important and it helps you with communication and, and it gives you all of these soft skills as well and sometimes hard skills too that you can bring into the traditional American workplace. It's just so important and it's yeah. not a separate thing from, from all the other nine to five workplace skills. We look at it as something different, like a different entity. We, well, we have the things that matter and math and science and all that and then we have the art stuff over there. But right. If we want to be well-rounded humans that communicate well and work well and exist well, we need a well-rounded experience. And you mentioned The Little Prince and talk about defining moments where you just connect with a piece of artwork. So the first time I read The Little Prince, I was in fourth grade and I remember my fourth grade teacher showed it to us. And even at that age, somehow or the other, I was like, this story is important. I don't know why, but it was important. And I have remembered it all the way through my adulthood. And then the film adaptation came out. And I remember just being channeled back to fourth grade Jessica. Before we kind of close up today, we've talked a lot mm. about the art, a lot about the craft. But I want to talk about the coffee for a minute. So <laughs> okay, as you have been sampling different varieties of coffee, I put myself in exactly the same boat of you guys where I love coffee. I drink it all the time but I wouldn't say I'm super well-versed on it necessarily. So do you have any favorite blends you've tried or, or what what type of coffee do you tend to gravitate towards and how do you take it? I gravitate towards really, really nutty, grounded, anything but things with fruit in them. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't care for like bright coffees. I worked at a, at a coffee shop or excuse me, I worked at an ice cream shop and then they started serving a cold brew in these little cans. I was mm. so excited. And then I tried it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is awful because it was just so bright and floral almost. I can't stand those, but I love me some some like earthy, grounded, nutty coffees. I will say one thing that I, I, I don't think I have a favorite at the moment because honestly, with this podcast, we're trying a different one every episode. And so we've been exposed to a lot of different ones. So my favorite, honestly, is probably what we're having at the moment. 
But I did try one from Lineage Coffee, which roasts in Winter Park, Florida. Or is it Winter Park? It's Orlando, somewhere. Yep. They roast in the Orlando area. And someone gave it to me. And they're like, try this on the podcast. I was like, okay, great. And the notes are listed. It's blackberry licorice. And I was very mm-hmm. worried going in. And it, it's a, a single origin coffee from, I can't remember where it's from. But it's this really cool single origin coffee. And it's brilliant. It's so good. It's it's not it's it's not hitting you on the head with the blackberry. It's just enough. And the licorice kinda I hate licorice, but it mm-hmm. dampened the the it wasn't citrus by any means, but I really enjoyed that. For me, I haven't met a bad cup of coffee. I, I will drink anything because I I enjoy much like Easton in the moment whatever I'm enjoying, but I also like the adventure of here you go, what's this gonna be? I'm like Easton. I don't care for super bright flavors and blends. I have found that uh, with fruit, if it's a darker fruit, it actually is more enriched in coffee for my taste buds. So if it's like black cherry or if it's like blackberry, it's a deeper rooted note within the coffee. So I really enjoy those. I'm like Easton. I like nutty flavors, which a lot of blends have a nut base of some sort just because that's the main flavoring. Um, I have several companies that I like. Eighth and Roast is a local Nashville roasting company. So, so good. If you can buy it in any form, I would recommend them. They have really good blends and just great people because I've talked to them. And then my future father-in-law is actually CEO and creator of Just Love Coffee. So if you've ever heard of that or had it, he's been helping me kind of understand the coffee realm and... Just how to how to get a note, how to understand where it came from, like it, not to become the aficionado, but just kind of like, yeah, here's here's what you should pay attention to type thing. I was like, OK, cool. Thanks. But they have wonderful coffee as well. And that's not a shameless plug. It's just it truly that's is good. good. <laughs> and then so far, the best cup of coffee that I've ever had was from a company called Blue Bottle in New York. And it's actually right under the Rockefeller Center. Easton can attain. I'm a fast coffee drinker because I'll be like, okay, I'm done. He's like, oh, I haven't even like barely just started my. I sipped this coffee. Like it was so good. It was nutty. It was warm. It felt like a hug in a mug. It was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) But that was the best I ever had. And it was from Blue Bottle. You can buy their beans as well. I'm very much always looking forward to whatever the adventure in the mug is. Much like Easton, it's like whatever I'm having right now probably is my favorite. It is so funny listening to you guys talk about your favorite coffees because I I love brighter coffees and I love fruity That's coffees. That's okay. That's like, fine. That's I would awesome. I, possibly. I also kind of like just about every coffee, so I also would not mm. have have rarely met a cup I did not like. But sometimes the darker roasts do get a little a little too dark for me. But I think argu- yep. arguably the best cup of coffee I may have had, and of course I can't even remember the the company that it was, but it was a wild blueberry coffee. And so when you Ooh. said no fruit, Easton, I was like, mm-hmm. that is so funny because mm-hmm. that blueberry, like it was like a blueberry breakfast blend was my favorite <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. ever. Yeah. And not when it gets like sweetened fruity, like just when it's the coffee with just a note of fruit, then that mm-hmm. I'm into. But I have, yeah. I just decided while you guys were talking, because I think this would be so much fun. So we have a local place here in Wichita where I live in Kansas called The Spice Merchant, and they sell tea mm-hmm. and coffee and all different types of blends. They have a tea that's really good my mom introduced me to it and it's an apricot brandy tea or apricot however you choose to say that word 
super good. We usually drink that iced. And then there's just tons of really good locally roasted coffee that they have there. So I am totally going to send you guys some and then you can sample it on the <laughs> podcast. How fun Aww, would that be? That's awesome. That'd Thank be you. Amazing. Thank- yeah. Yes, I will do that. We're always, be a fun We're always down. We're always down. Well, thank you guys. I've kept you for a while, but I appreciate I appreciate you. It's so Ooh. fun getting to meet you and talk to you and learn a little bit more about the podcast and the work that you do. So thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thank you again for having us. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thank you again to Austin and Easton. What a fun conversation that was. Create Space has been on air now for almost a full four months, which is so crazy to think about. So if you're someone who's been listening consistently and you're finding value in what I'm putting out there, I would love to ask you, if you happen to have some free time this week, pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. It'll take probably a minute or so of your time, and you can just click the star rating, leave a sentence or two review, and that would be amazing and would help me out so much. So thank you to everyone listening. Thank you to all of you who are creating space in your life every single week to join me to talk about storytelling. I appreciate each and every one of you so much, and I will see you back here same time, same place next week on Create Space.